Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, April 22nd, 2018. The share IDs for Friday, April 20th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, share ID 11322. That's 11,322. Please note that that is a correction from what was previously announced. Again, the 7 a.m. Eastern, 11322. And the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11324, 11,324. This morning, A Vision for You presents Living My Life by the Book. The Big Book was written as a set of directions for applying the 12 steps. It's not a book of theory or philosophy. It offers a clear, step-by-step approach for your recovery and your life. It enables you to really and fully understand the problem of our addiction, our spiritual malady. It presents a clear, practical solution to the problem, and it shows you how to implement that solution in your own life through the 12-step program of action it describes. The exciting thing about the 12 steps is that they teach us how to live. The promise of the 12-step process is a spiritual awakening, a psychic change, a personality change sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating. Through the application of the 12 steps, we know the design of living and the principles of living a successful life. We are changed in the way we think, feel, and behave. We are changed in the way we live. Joining us today to share how the program of recovery has renewed and rehabilitated her life is Leah D., a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Leah is eager and committed to this way of life, and she's excited to carry the message of recovery to us this morning. Welcome, Leah D. Anyway, I have it on speaker. Can I be heard just as well? Correct, but I advise no speaker, please. Okay, hold on. Thank you. Is that better? It is. Okay, wonderful. Okay, are you done, Leah? Is it my turn? I'm done. (laughs) Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Leah D. from Brooklyn, New York. And um, good morning, my stepbrothers and my stepsisters. And before I start, there may be people I know, because I've been in the rooms 44 years so before I became Leia D, I was Lisa B. So keep that in mind, because if you say to yourself, hey, I remember that, or I was there, I'd love to hear from people from the good old days. So my name is Leia D. I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and um, I ask God to make me a channel today that what I share with you resonates with someone and brings a message of recovery and does something for me too. Don't always know what. So I was born in 1952 in Brooklyn, New York, to young parents who lived with their parents. My parents lived with my grandparents, and um, whatever that is, we'll get into it later. Um, I remember overeating from the age of three. We lived, for some reason, they let three-year-olds run around in the streets in those days. I guess it was safe, and they let you go down and play. And the Fleischers owned an appetizing store on the corner, and they used to play hide-and-seek with me. My mother would come in and say, where's Lisa? And they'd say, oh, she's not here, and I'd really be hiding in the back. And they used to feed me, 
and they thought it was really cute that I put my hands in the cakes in the window, and just just an incident. Um, during my share today, there'll be a lot of incidents because I spent some time yesterday writing things down, and I had an interesting. I went through a, a, a myriad of emotions: happy, sad, crying, fear. It was really an interesting experience to put this together. So when I was four years old, we moved to our new home on Shaw Parkway in Brooklyn. The steps weren't even there yet. We lived with my grandmother and grandfather. We all lived. And I, when I was four years old, you know, they said someplace they should always remember where it started. I'm not really sure. When I was four years old, um, my grandfather was screaming, help me, help me. My grandmother had died in the bathroom. Um, I said to my mother, why is Poppy crying? And her answer was, he cut his calluses. He used to cut his calluses with a razor blade. These are just memories. And the next thing I remember is stealing money from the coin collections and on the way to summer school, stopping at Oliveri's, the little corner store, and buying junk. I stole a lot of money. I stole a lot of junk. What was a five-year-old doing walking to summer school, stealing money, and buying junk? The food disease progressed from there. When I was seven years old, I may jump back and forth. I went to camp on a bus, and my mother made me bring the ice cream home every time, every day. And I would carry this cup of melted ice cream on the cup, bring it home, and do what any other kid would do. I'd push the top down a little bit, and I'd look around the edges. Not too much so that she'd know, but enough that I got that taste. And then I would come home, bring it to her, and then she would proceed to eat it on the bench, not losing a bee talking to the ladies. When I was five, at the pediatrician, he weighed me. He put me on a fluoroscope machine, which to this day I get shivers. I can feel the cold. And he said to my mother, look at this child. What are you doing to her? What are you feeding her? You have to stop this immediately. So that started my first diet. Where at the age of five, I came off from kindergarten to a plate of cottage cheese, pickled herring, and French string beans. That was her answer. She put the plate in front of me in the kitchen, and she proceeded to go back smoking her cigarettes with her girls in the dining room. I never felt more alone and more uncomfortable and totally, totally confused. In those days, I don't think people spoke to children. At least nobody spoke to me. And that's when the money stealing started and the sneaking started and going to the neighbors' houses and rummaging through their refrigerators and eating white bread with globs of margarine and whatever I didn't get my fingers on. That was insanity. I was six years old. The weight piled high from then on. I spent my whole life with my mother looking at me saying, stick your stomach in, stick your stomach in, stick your stomach in. The only loving moment I really remember with that woman is sitting, looking at the guppies, taking out the baby guppies and putting them in a baby tank and saving them. Maybe that's why today, for the first time in my life, I have a hobby. I collect glass fish. I'm not really sure. My whole life was one giant embarrassment. I was embarrassed every day of my life, going to class, going to school. I loved school. I was a really smart little girl. I played the jelly lady in the second grade play. I loved to sing. 
The principal came to the class and said, who's going to district chorus? I looked around. And he said, Lisa, aren't you going? You have a beautiful voice. Like, who, me? And I went, and I loved it. But of course, nothing stopped my eating disorder. It was there. My mother spent my early years being the diet police. Lisa doesn't want, Lisa can't have, no, she doesn't want, no, thank you. She spoke for me, she thought for me, and all it did was make it worse. One major incident, and this was a repetition of how everything went. We'd be sitting at the Sunday table, and I come from a family of compulsive eaters. Mom was an overeater, my father's an overeater, my brother was an overeater, and Sunday was a day of usual stuff in a Jewish household, the appetizing plus. And I would sit down, and she would say, you don't want any. And I'd say, Mommy, can I have? You can't have. Oh, Mommy, can I have? And then he, my father would say, oh, let her have. She doesn't need it. Look at her. She doesn't need it. Look at her. And then I would get hysterical and run into the bedroom crying. I shed more tears as a child than I think the ocean had. They would be arguing. I'd be crying. They'd be arguing. I'd be crying. And then he'd come in and say, Mommy says you could have a half. <laughs> and you walked out with the sobbing. And you sat down at the table and you got a half a little round thing with a hole in it. And Mommy had contempt in her eyes. How dare you win? How dare you eat this? How dare you anything? Well, that how daring lasted until I turned 17 years old and said, I'm going to college. And I told the family, unless I went away to college, I would not go. That was was it. I made the demand. I'm not going to school. I'm just not going to school. Well, they let me go. And, of course, the only real diet I ever tried before I left, well, there were three, actually. The first, of course, was the Stillman diet. And I looked it up last night, and the Stillman diet says, eat small meals a day, follow two rules, drink eight glasses of water, and then eat as much as you want of A, B, C, and D. Well, hello, America. I ate as much as I wanted. Nothing happened. Then I tried Atkins, and they say, too, eat as much as you want, bling, bling, bling. That, too, didn't work. Weight Watchers didn't work. I went every week, and I lied to my mother. I lost an eighth of a pound. I gained a quarter. I lost an eighth. I told her every week I lost, and then came the 16-week chip part, and I begged for a chip. I told them I couldn't go home. I lied. I lied, and I lied, and I lied, and I lied. When I went away to college, it was the first time I was ever alone with my food. There was no one there to police me. There was no one there to tell me no. And at that point, I weighed close to 200 pounds, and I would lay in bed at night and pray to God, please let me not gain another pound. If I could stay here, I could stay here. Not everybody's meant to be thin. Not everybody's meant to have a good body. All I wanted when I was 14 years old was to wear a mini skirt and go-go boots. I wanted to go shopping with the girls and go into a store and buy a skirt and go-go boots. They used to have to take me to special stores because I was a chubby. I was a ten and a half chubby. I couldn't go to regular stores. I couldn't go to regular anything. I don't know how I got this way, but I was. I got, a, got to college. I had a meal ticket for lunch, dinner, and everything else, and I used it. I made friends, and up until this time, I really never had friends, I, or, or at least I never thought I was liked. We'd go to do things with kids and go to people's houses. They were interested in playing games and doing skits and giggling about boys, and I was interested in the M&Ms. I didn't understand. I had to be around the food, and I couldn't stop. I just couldn't 
messed up. College was the 60s, 1966 to 1969. Obvious, drug, sex, and rock and roll. And I took part in all of it. And I got fatter and fatter and fatter. And I guess the greatest pain of college is when a boy you liked, who you laughed with, would look at you and say, I really like you. You're such a great girl, but I can't go out with you. I'm just not attracted to you. Why are you so fat? How do you answer that? How do you say, I don't know? How do you say, I don't know? I went out, I set out to prove that I could be loved and it didn't work. I loved everyone for their potential and it didn't work. I had a poster in my room, a picture of myself that I made and it said on the bottom, I've got the biggest and the best. This is where I started to cry last night because I knew what that meant. I knew how painful it was to live in those days and to be part of something yet to feel part of nothing. I wore one pair of jeans that kept ripping. And in those years, it was really cool to patch your pants. And my pants had to be patched. And when you took them off and you looked at them, they were big. I see them in my, my, my mind's eye today. They were big. They were painful. They were disgusting. Nothing fit right. Nothing was good. Nothing was right. I was lost. The truth is that my best friend from college is still my closest friend today. She's a 12-stepper, and we've been together ever since, ever since. Her friendship was real. I got through college. I graduated college. I got a degree. I came home. I still came home to the same household I was in. I think my mother was related to some others on the line. She had three distinct personalities. She could be Joan Crawford, Mommy Dearest, and come in and decide that the bedroom, the closets weren't neat or the shelves weren't neat and clear it with her hand and say, now clean it. And then she could be a three-year-old, hysterical crying over something she needed because my father wasn't around. And the next thing you know, the doorbell rang and she was the hostess with the mostess. I never knew who was going to show up. When I got home from college, I was 19 years old. I don't know, 20 years old, maybe 20, 20, 21. And I got a job teaching and I lived at home. And my second job teaching, I was 22, and that was October of 1974. And for some reason, this girl named Lisa, who wasn't religious, who had no Jewish background, who didn't have a day of Jewish school, got a job working in a yeshiva, a parochial school, a religious parochial school, teaching pre-1A. I don't know what I was doing there, teaching English. And part of what they did in school is they have Shabbos parties for the children, and each child is supposed to bring in snacks. A beautiful woman named Enid, no names mentioned, a beautiful woman walked in and said to me, Miss B, I don't know what to bring. We don't have that in my house. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, I've lost 80 pounds and kept it off for three years. And I said, and how did you do that? And she said, I go to Overeaters Anonymous. And I said, what's that? She said, it's a group of people who have trouble with food. There's a meeting on Thursday night. Why don't you come? Now, the truth is, my whole life up until then, I never dieted. I didn't know how. I wasn't one of the ones who lost 50, gained 50, lost 40, gained 50. I was a steady up. Steady. If you drew a graph, it was steady up. I didn't understand what to do to diet because if I was on a diet or said to myself, today I'm going to diet, 
Within one hour, I was eating things. I knew how to eat slices of bread and make it look like no one touched it. I could do this. I had all kinds of deals. I was super intelligent. I wheeled and dealed. 1974, I walk into the Moravian Church in Manhattan on 30th and Lex. I begged a friend to come with me because I couldn't do anything alone. I couldn't speak alone. I couldn't be alone. I was all really closed up in the real areas. I, was a, I could be jokey and laughy, but the truth was always hidden somewhere. I begged my friend to come. She said yes. I was on the phone. I was talking about this Overeaters Anonymous meeting, and my mother, laying on her position in the, in the, on the couch, says to me, Oh, I tried that. Those people are crazy. The books are on the desk. I looked at the desk, and there was a book called Overeaters Anonymous, I'm sorry, Alcoholics Anonymous, and AA 12 and 12. I had no idea what that was, but I went to the meeting, and I sat there, and the first person came up, and they said, in those days, my name is so-and-so, and I'm powerless over food. And they spoke, and they spoke, and they spoke, and I knew I was home. When we left the meeting... Barbara said this wasn't for her. She wasn't going back. But Lisa said, I'm going back. I went back to the meeting the following week. I spoke to that woman. I did get a sponsor. And I did start following the Gray Sheet Food Plan. I was successful and lost 80 pounds. What I didn't get in those days was the 12 steps the way I have it today. It was a very, very, very big tool-based program. It was a very big program of friendships, which I never had before. We would go out to eat together. We would cook together. We would weigh and measure together. We were an army of people dedicated to food. I really thought and believed that I was powerless over knowing how to diet, and that was my problem. So here I was being successful in weighing and measuring. You would never find a carbohydrate in my house. I carried my scale with me. I was rigid. I was white-knuckled. And I didn't understand that wasn't recovery. But I did it, and I did get a taste of living in a normal body, being a normal person. I dieted down to 150 pounds, and I was there for about 20 minutes. I went through a major emotional crisis at that point because I didn't know who I was, how I was supposed to act, and how I was supposed to feel. I had some physical things going on at that point, and I got involved with a crazy group in OA who told me it was emotional, and it really wasn't. It was a physical condition. It was a woman's thing called PID. Thank God I went to the different doctors. I felt high all the time. I felt like I was drinking all the time. I didn't know what was wrong with me. One doctor said it was water on the brain. One doctor said this. One doctor said that. And God bless Dr. Goodgold. Dr. Goodgold said, you know, you've lost 80 pounds. I think it might be with metabolism. And the other, he said, I recommend two things, a good, a good doctor and a psychologist, a therapist to talk about your life. You've made major changes. Well, the doctor found a mass, and he dealt with it, and thank God I was okay. And then I found a wonderful, 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 wonderful therapist who I went to. And when I went to the therapist, he said to me, how could you know how to live your life when you didn't have any role models? And I looked at him like he was from Mars. And he spoke, and he spoke, and he spoke, and he helped me re 
shape my life. And what he said to me is, what you're feeling is anxiety. You're feeling anxiety. And he taught me what that meant. And he taught me about feelings. And he taught me about everything. And he set the basis and foundation for who I am today. I owe this man my life and my gratitude. From not being able to go out of the house and running out of stores because my anxiety was so high, the next thing I knew, eight months later, I was holding down three different jobs, and he looked at me. He said, how are you doing? I said, I guess okay. He said, you guess okay? You've got three different jobs. And a day at a time, I recovered, and I learned how to feel, and I learned how to do, and I learned how to be. In those days, we didn't work 12 steps. We read about the 12 steps, we talked about the 12 steps, but I didn't live them. The 12 steps in those days was kind of like the way I read the Bobsy Twins. I'd get a little bored and tired and then read the end. I didn't feel I had to write a fourth step, I did it in my head. I wasn't going to tell anybody, I knew what to do. And on and on and on and on. 10, I didn't know what 10 was. 11, Okay, God, help me. HP, I called God HP in those days. Step 12, we told people about program. It wasn't like today. So after eight years in the program and going to meetings every day, I was in a relationship with someone older through the rooms who I judged terribly because he was still overweight and couldn't get it together. And I made my amends to him a lot in my head, my heart, and in my new recovery today. That relationship ended, and I took a share in the house in the Hamptons. I thought I'd arrived, Joe and Charlie. I walked into the kitchen. I opened the closets. And those of you who know what Wallbaum Supermarket is, it was like Wallbaum's. It had every carbohydrate in the world, and I hadn't been surrounded alone with carbohydrates in eight years. I took the first bite. I couldn't stop, and I put on about 20 pounds that summer. I remember coming home and calling someone on the phone and telling him what happened. And he said to me, just get bigger clothes and stop eating now. I couldn't do it. I couldn't get back to the diet. I couldn't get back to the diet. That started about 13 years of chasing it, going to meetings every day. I went to meetings every day, and I couldn't get back on the diet. Somehow, no one gave me the recovery or the wherewithal to get recovery. I never got it. Maybe I never asked for it. I don't really know. But I did work hard. And a year later, a year and a half later, I was reading the big book because everyone said the big book. But they told me about the big book. I need to be taught. I'm one of these people that don't do well without direct instruction. I like to be shown what to do. I can't read manuals. I can't do those things on my own. Maybe it's a little bit of my dyslexia. I'm not sure. But I need to show A to B, B to C, C to D. And I go, oh, that's how it works. Uh Uh-huh. Now let me ask you a question. How do I do this and how do I do that? So here again is God, which I didn't know about then. I was sitting under a tree in Central Park reading page 86 of the big book. And page 86 in the big book talks about what to do upon awakening and what to do with your life. And don't be hesitant to speak to a priest, minister, or rabbi, because I knew, I knew I had to get this under control. 
I didn't want to go back. I used to, I swore to myself I'd never put that weight on. I was never going back. My ego said, you look too good. You're not going back. I liked being that way. I liked how I felt. I liked being able to go finally buy that skirt and boots. But that's not what happened. In the book, it said, do not hesitate to speak to a priest, a minister, a rabbi. And I wrote, rabbi, what does a rabbi have to do with God? And what is a Jewish God? And I couldn't answer that question. I didn't know how to apply what I read in the book at all. Not one iota. All I knew for sure was I was powerless over food. I'm not even sure if I understood my life as unmanageable. I left Central Park. I went to the Lexington Avenue Street Fair. And someone slapped a card in my hand and said, Is there life after the Hamptons? Join us for High Holy Day Single Services Sutton Place Synagogue. I thought it was a sign from God. I told my friend June that. I told my mother I wasn't coming home for the high holidays. And I went to Sutton Place Synagogue in the world of Astoria. When I was a child, my mother sent me to an Orthodox camp. I don't know why. I walked into this synagogue. I walked in on a Friday night. I heard all these songs. I knew I was home. They get, that began my journey to become a religious, observant, Orthodox Jewish woman. Did that help my eating disorder? It made it worse. Suddenly, I'm around people who are having meals to celebrate God. Now they've got food I never was going to touch again. They've got carbohydrates all over the place. I'm a hardcore gray sheeter. I can eat, I can eat three chickens. No big deal, but I can't touch a, a thing matching a thing with a thing, and it got worse. It did not get better. And no matter what I did, I couldn't get my food back. I thought under control. Notice I. Every time I say I, it's I. My mother at that point was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. She had cancer. They were dealing with her. I was trying to deal with me. At that point, I was very secure in a lot of areas of my life. At the age of 26, I opened up my own advertising agency. That's another story, not for now. But I was very, very capable. I can do anything. I can run this country. I can be the president of the United States. But guys, I can't handle a cupcake. I can't handle a lot more than that. My religiosity grew. I was introduced to my husband. We got engaged and married in three dates. I told him I was an overeater. He said, I know. I said, how do you know? He said, and he pointed to my shelf. And there was a whole shelf of alcoholic overeaters books there. <laughs> I'm a little crying now because my husband passed away this October the 10th after 30 years. I didn't eat over it. So we got married. And at the wedding... It was not okay. The food was not okay. The things we were doing were not okay. In my head, I knew it was not okay. I couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop. I went to meetings every single day, and I couldn't stop. I never stopped going to meetings, and I would go into the meeting and say, well, I'm recovered emotionally and spiritually, but I can't stop eating. And I don't know why no one, God didn't, it wasn't ready. God didn't send me the miracle yet. I don't know why. I had seven years of crazy infertility. I finally conceived my daughter. My daughter was born. I was 42 years old. I had a C-section. I was laying in the hospital, and a doctor came in at the foot of the bed and said to me in my stupor, now you have to lose 50 pounds immediately, you know, um, for, for the emotional appeal. Right now, I said, yeah, you're right. I know you're right. I know you're right. 
I brought my daughter home, and someone said to me, quote, you really should do something. You don't want to be the one that they call the fat mother when she goes to school. It must have hit somewhere, because I started to go back to a meeting, and she became not available during the day. I was ending up not being in the meeting, bringing her. So what did I do, as Laidee usually does? By then I was Laidee for a while. I opened up a meeting in my neighborhood, in my local synagogue, which I ran for 10 years. That meeting ran for 10 years. I got abstinent again, food-wise. I took off 100 pounds. I had arrived. And then I got bored. I'm tired of this. I'm gaining a little weight. This is not good. I don't want to go. Mental twist, mental twist, mental twist, mental twist. There's got to be another way. You see, because I never, I never started working the steps. I never did any of that. No one did. We'd have a big book meeting. We'd read. Very nice. Goodbye. Good luck. So the two things that I always ran to, I ran to Fit for Life. That was the food plan I ran to. And then I went, ran to Eat to Live. Now, I needed to know that if I was doing that, I was in trouble. So once again, these are some of the things that I did. I ran to Fit for Life. I ran to Eat for Live. I became a juicer. You know, I, um, I tried all kinds of crazy things. I knew I was really out of control during the seven infertility years when the first time I walked in and bought an actual ice cream cone. I had never done that in day one. I bought it. I sat in the car. I ate it. And it didn't make me feel better. I threw it out of the car. I picked it up and I ate it again and I didn't feel any better. I didn't feel better. But I got tired of gray shit. I got tired and no one told me what was going on. I went to every length to try to figure this out because I was going to figure it out. I again. I again. I bought a bean because I saw it on TV and I was going to rock myself in. So I bought this bean, brought it home, took it out laid on it, and you were supposed to go back and forth and back and forth and rock yourself in. I rocked twice, fell off, and threw that out. I had my thyroid checked five different times because I was positive. This can't be food. This has got to be my thyroid. And I had my thyroid checked five times, and that didn't work. <sighs> then I got this other thing, and I tried this, and I tried that, and I tried every method possible to make this work, and it wouldn't work. I was a wife, I was a mother, and I couldn't stop eating. I didn't go back to live meetings at that point. I started using phone meetings. I called the 100-pounder meeting, and I started looking for a sponsor. I looked for the sponsor who had the panacea of the ultimate food plan and the ultimate recovery, and through osmosis, I was going to recover. So I worked with one, I worked with two, and the truth is I liked the ones that said, you know, emails here, send me your food. I said, oh, great, I don't have to work too hard. And I would last on the plan for two days, and i find another sponsor. I'd last on a different plan. Hi, what do you eat? Oh, yeah, what do you eat? Uh, tell me what you eat. Yeah, uh-huh. Oh, I'll try that. Two days. And I went from sponsor to sponsor to sponsor. I did find some recovery when I found some people with the pizza box plan. And that was another whole story. But what I found there was, I didn't realize that I was even cutting out my trigger foods. I did that for a while until someone said to me, until they said to me, you know, you know what you're eating now. Why don't you just do calories and eat what you want for breakfast, lunch, and dinner as long as you stay in a certain area? Did they know who they were talking to? You gave me permission again. And once again, I lost control. The weight came on. 
And once again, I'm not okay. I was running a business. I have a child. I have things going on. Things are happening. Things are happening. Things are happening. I stopped calling meetings again. This is no good. This is never going to work. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And no matter what I tried, it wasn't working. The only two things that I never did, really, I never did hypnosis, and I never put balls behind my ears. But I do want to share the sickest thing that I did, and this is the last thing I did because I got before I got recovered. I got an email from, from a group called Pound Melter, and what they said is that they guarantee that you'll be able to deal with obesity by exposing your body to cold and in the process, lowering your internal body temperature. Of course, this has to be done strategically to ensure you don't fall sick or face other health concerns. It says once you start eating cold food and drop your body internal temperature, the result is that white fat cells stored in your body will be destroyed and they'll be followed up by brown cells. Okay. And what they tell you to do here is have all this cold food. But I figured, what do I need cold food for? They said to do hot showers, then turn it cold really quick. <laughs> so I tried it. Hot showers, then cold showers. And I thought, great, I'll do this for a week and the fat will turn from brown to white or white to brown and I will be thin. Well, it didn't work and it didn't last very long. They guarantee that I become a fat-burning machine in a month. They told me I'd get rid of a lifetime of obesity and being the fattest kid on the playground by making your body change. Well, it didn't work. Once again, it didn't work. Not Stillman, not Atkins, not nothing. Not nothing worked. (sighs) Two and a half years ago, I started a school when my daughter was seven. My daughter wasn't learning to read. And I did not know that dyslexia runs in families. And I did not know that the reason my father never could write a sentence or never could write anything without handing a pad and pencil to someone and say, how do you spell that? I didn't understand that he was a severe dyslexic. I didn't understand that the reason that I can't memorize multiplication tables is because I have a form of a two. And I didn't know the reason my seven-year-old little girl wasn't learning to read was that she was dyslexic. And when she wasn't learning to read, I tried everything and went every way possible. And what was a mother to do? Well, this mother did what she knew how to do. And I opened a school for girls with dyslexia. And I opened a parochial Jewish school for girls with dyslexia, which I still, which I, which I opened the school, a tutoring center, training, and I did a whole program which I still run today in a different phase. I'm dedicated to dyslexia and I run a nonprofit. My daughter today is a teacher. I saved hundreds of children. I'm like the Wright brothers. I can do all these things. I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that, I did this, I was did that, and I couldn't stop eating. I, I, I had a trainer, hurt my foot, that didn't work. Nothing worked. One day... The school was falling apart. This is two and a half years ago. The school was falling apart. My life was unmanageable. At that point, about nine years ago, my husband was hit by a car. And when he was hit by that car, he was walking and it changed our lives. He was hit by a car. He survived. Eight weeks later, he went into cardiac arrest. He died 22 times and he survived. 
I figured out a plan for him to live, and he had eight glorious years. He didn't need an aide, but he needed someone to hang out with. He needed a son because he wasn't a self-starter. His life went to a screeching halt, and I figured that out too. I'm really bright. I'm really intelligent. I can, I can do everything. I just can't stop eating. I just can't stop eating. I just can't stop eating. Two and a half years ago, the walls finally came down. I couldn't hold it together anymore. I hadn't cried in 25 years, and I couldn't stop crying, and I couldn't stop eating. Well, I could hold it and fake it and be strong for just so long, and I knew it was all over. I knew I was in trouble, and I knew it was all over. Many times during this last, my last lives, I, I really wanted to go into rehab. I didn't know what else to do. Someone came to my house to drop off a charity check for my organization, and she said, why don't you try the 6.30 meeting that I called? I said, oh, I don't want to do that, and I don't want to do this, and that's not going to work. She said, just try. And I don't know what happened. She walked out, and I called up, and I found the phone number, and I said to this woman, can I give you my food? And she took my food, and I called the next morning at 6.30, and I liked what I heard. You see, in between this, I found a big book group. I knew the answer was in the big group, but I, big book, but I couldn't find a group. I couldn't find a home for myself because the big group book that I found was this big book solutions group. And they really tried, except they kept dropping me because they said if I didn't do stuff all day long, they couldn't work with me. And they didn't want to work with my food. They said, if you're recovered, you could eat anything. That wasn't for me. I called the 6.30 meeting for a couple of days, and the next morning I called the 7 a.m. meeting. I called Vision for You. I called the meeting, and I liked what I heard. I proceeded to the call the meeting every day. This is December 6, 2015. I called every day. I called every day, and I called every day. December 6, 2015 was my first abstinent day. The last week in December, I reached out and I called, sent an email to someone and I was looking for a sponsor. And I made some announcements and a woman called me up and said, Hi, I hear you need a sponsor. I'll sponsor you. And the truth is I was looking for an Orthodox Jewish woman to sponsor me. I did want to stay in that area. I wanted someone who understood what I went through. I want someone to understand my God who can help me live my life for me. It's what I wanted, and God sent me what I wanted. But that day, and this is really funny, she called and left a phone number. But I didn't remember where she was calling from. And I needed, in the beginning, to call people. The first, every day now, I have a, a rotation of calls. I couldn't go from my house to work without speaking to six people. I was really a mess. And that day, I called and I didn't know who it was, so the first person I texted, I said, hi, are you my sponsor? And a woman wrote back and said, is this a new Dr. Seuss book? And I called five or six people to see who my sponsor was, and someone finally said, I think it's so-and-so. She called. Okay. So now the real deal. The name of this, st this story that we're telling today is called My Life by the Book. So now you got 42 years of insanity. You can hear it. If you didn't hear it, we've got to listen again. You're almost 300 pounds. You're not, it's not working. Something's wrong. And this woman calls me up. And let me first start off by telling you that the name of the book that's in front of me now that I'm looking at that's brand new is called Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, first of all, the first, and this is really cool, that the first 164 pages... I measured it. It's about a half an inch thick. 
Can you imagine that a book a half an inch thick can totally give you life? Totally give you life. So the first thing she tells me is open up the inside of the book and what does it say? And it says the story how, how, how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. Now, first of all, it doesn't say got better. It doesn't say worked on it. It says recovered. Now, when I started working this program and really living by it, again, I told you I need a guide. I said to her, you know, this is not going to work. I've been here before. I've done this. I've done that. I, 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 I can't. And she said to me, well, let's try say, setting the set-aside prayer. And I said, what is the set-aside prayer? And she said it, and we said, said, said it. And like Bill in the hospital when he had his spiritual awakening, right then and there, I had my spiritual awakening. She then sent me other prayers. We then started reading almost every day, big book, line by line. And we would read, and I would read, and she would read, and I would ask questions. And then I would define words I didn't understand. And then I went online and found the big book dictionary, and I bought her one, and I bought me one. And then we read the doctor's opinion. You see, I never read the doctor's opinion for 42 years, because the doctor's opinion was about alcoholics. It wasn't about food. So how could that help me? I really believe that Overeaters Anonymous was a program that this woman, based on Alcoholics Anonymous, but had nothing to do with me. This has nothing to do with me. This has to do with alcoholics. Well, my real recovery began when I understood that I am this book and this book is me. So we started reading the book and we started reading the doctor's opinion and I started understanding something called a mental twist which for 42 years I didn't understand at all. And the first mental twist I had was in the butcher shop when I realized a certain protein wasn't okay in my lifestyle and I was making a dish and I said, I have to get X. And I stood in the store and said, wait a second, I can't get X. If I eat one, I'm going to eat it all. And I stood there and said, wait, maybe this is a mental twist. And I then got out of the store, called my sponsor and said, is this a mental twist? She said, yes, it is. So I learned two years ago to recognize and understand what is a mental twist. I've had many in the last two years. And as a sponsor, I teach other people what it is. Because I've come to, be, come to understand, unless someone teaches you what it is, you cannot know what it is. She taught me about mental twist. We read the doctor's opinion. I learned about allergy of the body. And then I found Joe and Charlie. I was turned on to Joe and Charlie, and then I fell in love. I've listened to Joe and Charlie over the last two years, thousands of times. I run a meeting about Joe and Charlie. I need Joe and Charlie. If you don't know who Joe and Charlie is on the line, write down Joe and Charlie and then go find their tapes. They teach you the big book line by line. And then comes Bill's story. Good old Bill. I never understood about this doggerel. He was there. He was a grenadier. Who gave a 
flying fig. I don't know. What does this have to do with me? Well, today I know exactly what it has to do with me. I am Bill. I am Bill. I am Bill. I know who he was. I know how he felt. I see him walking across the street. I see him pale. I see him needing a shave. I see him shaking. I see it. I feel it. He is in my soul. And then I hear, feel, feel Ebby come. I hear them talking. I hear how he's not happy. What is this guy, cracked? I don't need this. And then I hear his recovery. I am Bill. He was sober, and I am Bill. And then comes there is a solution. Well, hello, America. There is a solution. And my heart goes out to the people that are still chasing it. My heart goes out to those who haven't figured it out. And let me tell you something. Maybe now is a good time to tell you. You see, I'm a marketer, I'm an advertiser, and I'm a big thinker. I got tired of people telling me or looking at me like a Weight Watcher. You know, people say to you, why can't you eat that? And I say, well, you know, I, I, I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I'm a food addict. Um, I have an eating disorder. And they go, huh? And then I, 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 it's not the right word. So I made up a new word. And I'm going to share it with you here. And I'm really hoping that someday it goes into the dictionary. Because the word I made up is called frunk. I'm an F-R-U-N-K. And the definition of frunk is to be affected by food and certain food ingredients or behaviors to the extent of losing control of one's faculties and or behaviors. Frunk. Going on food binges and not being able to stick to a committed plan of eating for any length of time. Frunk. A noun. A person who overeats and repeats inappropriate personal eating behaviors or someone who habitually eats to excess or to deprivation. That is a frunk. Well, last month when I made it up and I wrote it down, I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. You all can have it. Please use it. It made me feel comfortable that I finally knew who I was and what I do. And I know there is only a solution. So I'm reading the big book. I'm reading the big book. I'm working with my sponsor. And now we come to how it works. And that's my favorite chapter. Why? Because every OA meeting always started on chapter three, how it works. So that one I do in my sleep. Then I had to do a fourth step. Oh, my God. How am I going to tell this religious woman who I was and how I live my life and what I've done and how I've done it? And, and she taught me line by line how to do a fourth step. I didn't know what selfish was. I thought selfish was I didn't share my stuff. I didn't let you play with my marbles. I didn't understand what selfish was. I didn't understand what self-seeking was. She taught me every word, her and every other recovered brother and sister I reached out to. When the brother that I called, I said, what does selfish mean? He said, it's not what you think. It's 1939, and this is what selfish means. I was a learner. I was like a sponge. I was absorbing. I wrote my fourth step, and I worked on it, and she pushed me because I'm a procrastinator. She pushed me. I wrote it, and then we had to make the appointment. I went into my car. I didn't want my, my daughter to hear what I said, and I called her up and I said, I'm afraid to give you my fifth step. What about the sex part? And she says, you think there's nothing I haven't heard? Oh, my God. I made an appointment for the fifth step. We went over. We did the fifth step. I listened for an hour. I did six and seven. I prayed on seven and eight. Then I had to start writing step eight, made the amends, and I started making amends. I wrote amends. I rewrote them. I wrote them again. And I make them, and I make them, and I make them, and they're not all done. Progress, not perfection. The amends are not 
all done. But they're getting done. Two got done this week. I made amends to my brother. I didn't talk to my little brother for 11 years. I didn't know why. And what I figured out is because my mother never taught me how to be a sister. My amends was, I'm sorry, I didn't, wasn't there for you because I didn't know how to be a sister. It was amazing, the results that came of it. I'm the same girl I was that I was born in Borough Park in 1952. I've uncovered and peeled away all the layers. I live my life today in 10, 11, and 12, and what does that mean? That means that I did have a spiritual awakening and my desire for food has left me. My desire left. Everything this book promises happened to me, exactly as they said it. The desire left, the craving left, the bedevilments left. I'm not restless and irritable and discontent. And if I am, what I'm supposed to do is pick up a phone and say I'm feeling something and I don't have to be sure what. I could be happy, sad, and I go to recovered people, and I reach out to recovered people, and they tell me what to do, and we do a 10-step. And then at night, I work hard to do my 11-step. I'm back into it again, doing my actual inventory, and I live in 12. I live in 10, 11, and 12, and I have arrived, and I am recovered. I do not take this for granted. I work it every single day. I don't sponsor a zillion people. I help with food. What do I help with? I help people figure out the allergy of their body and the obsession of the mind. I recently went to a new sponsor. What happened was my husband died October the 10th, and I knew I better reach out quickly because I didn't know what to do. I reached out to all the elders in this program, and the first one to call me back said, Leah, you've got to go to God now and tell God this is new. You've never been here before, and he's got to guide you. My God and I are pals. My God is the most important thing in my life today. I found the power, and that power is God. This talk isn't about God. That we can do privately. I know who God is in my life, and my higher power and I are one. I went to this person. I've changed my food. I wasn't losing weight. I changed my food plan. I've cut back. I've lost 13 pounds. I'm arriving. I feel really good. I'm working this program. I work with people to get rid of allergy foods. I, Leah D, do not eat Splendor anymore. I have mayonnaise without sugar. Who is this woman? Where did she get so willing? Where, where, where? Well, she knows that if she's not willing and if she's not open and she's not willing to change and she's not willing to do these things and listen to the elders and listen to this and live her life by the book and whatever the book says goes, then she's going to die. And I have too much to do today. I have a 22-year-old daughter. I want to change the world. I just got a brand new puppy. And I need, a, I need to live. I need to live. But I need to live in the recovery. I need to live in 10, 11, and 12. I need to live in the promises. I need to live happy, joyous, and free. I have a circuit of people I call every day. I probably reach out to seven or eight people on a daily basis. That's what I need to do to recover. I need to stay connected. I need to stay to my people. Again, I don't sponsor the steps with everyone because it takes a lot out of me. I have right now two sponsees who I'm doing steps with, and I have about four people who call with food, and I'm always available by text and especially by email because I have a really busy life. I really do want to change the world. I believe that God put me in this world to make a difference, and I'm going to make a difference. 
I hope I made a difference in someone's life today. I don't know what else I could say, but I think I'm done for now, and I'd like to hear what you have to say. Because one day at a time, Leia D is recovering. My name is Leia D, and I'm a frunk, an absolute, unadulterated frunk. And Leia, I think I'm done. Well, thank you so much for your beautiful presentation this morning, Leia. Thank you for sharing your profound story of transformation with all of us on the line. Leia D's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question and answer segment. You'll need to press star 1 to unmute. Please identify yourself, including the first letter of your last name. Who has a question this morning? Lucy E. Lucy E. Denise N. Denise N. Perry B. Perry B. Donna F. Donna F. Debbie D. Debbie C. Debbie C. C. And Kat. Thank you, Debbie C. Gloria N. Gloria N. Um, M. I didn't catch your first name. On M. On M. Sharon C. Sharon C. Excellent. We have Lucy E, Elise N, Perry B, Donna F, Debbie C, Gloria N, On M, Sharon C. That's a great list to start with. Everybody, please mute your line by pressing star one, except for Lucy E. Okay, thank you so much, uh, Leah, for uh, a refreshing, excuse me, refreshing and helpful uh, sharing of, of your life. Thank you so much because you're the first time I've been going on to this meeting for about two months and I've tried getting a sponsor and I worked a little bit, but it just doesn't seem to click right now. And I, I also started with gray sheet and I have a tumultuous upside down type of uh, life with food. And I would love to do this program, but it, I want to know if you could share more about identifying and how to seek a sponsor because you did not say whether or not this sponsor that helped you had been on Gracie at some point and had a crazy life too. Was she similar to you or not similar to you? How do you find a sponsor? Or, or is it that just you pray to God and God finds it and the sponsor appears, something like that? I don't know if you could speak more to that. Sure. I've come to understand in my recovery, that a food plan has nothing to do with recovery. What am I talking about? Most people who who sponsor program, the 12 steps in the big book, don't also sponsor food. I believe it's two different people. The food plan has to work either with a nutritionist or a food sponsor. I found for me what I need and what I tell my people is find a person to guide you through the 12 steps. It's not the same person. It's not the same person. Look for someone who will guide you through the 12 steps, start reading the doctor's opinion, and get a separate food sponsor. It's not the same thing. 
and it really is your job to beg, borrow, and steal to get that sponsor for you to recover. I hope that answered your question. It does. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Lucy E. I will mention today's share ID 11327. That's 11,327 for today's Sunday special edition. Elise N., your turn. Star one to unmute. Elise N. Hi, sorry, I'm I'm now unmuted. Um, thank you for thank you for qualifying, um, Leah D. I didn't know you were qualifying in the morning. I thought it was going to be some other time, and I I just happened right as Harlan would say, is it odd or is it God? Um, I happened to call someone this morning and I said, I was going to call you. And she said, well, don't call her now. She's qualifying. And I said, she is. So, um, that's how I ended up on the line. And, um, I've been having a very hard time. I need, you know, phone calls, but I also realized that, you know, what you said, you know, you work, you don't let up on this program and you work it, you know, you work it hard every day. You, you, you do everything that you have to do every single day and there's no there's no letting up and that's where i've been faltering is it's there's no um there's no you know it's just they say it's a simple program but not an easy program it's not it's it's uh that's where it's you know it's it's uh that's 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 where I've been making my mistake is is you know the meetings matter the, the everything matters Elise may I uh direct you to asking a question please Oh I didn't realize this was for asking a question Thanks. Okay so I don't really have a question right now I just wanted to say that I enjoyed listening to Leah thank you thank I didn't you. know the structure Okay thank you Elise and Perry B your question please Star one to unmute Perry B. Hi, it's Perry B in Boca Raton, Florida, compulsive overeater. Uh, I wanted to thank uh, Leah for um, sharing this morning. I got a lot of value from it. And my question is, um, being in the program over 35 years in and out of the room, still having relapses and going back to the food and thinking that the food is my friend and that I can have fun with the food with family and friends and redirecting back to the big book after I have these little episodes and needing really a big book sponsor, like she said, versus just thinking that the food sponsor is enough because I know that when I did have the big book sponsor with the food sponsor, things were working better and I was losing weight. So my question is, to be recovered and to be able to like see the food as neutral and when going out with friends and family that want to have fun with the food since I always thought food was fun instead of food is nourishment 
but then it's not fun after I end up being in pain once again with arthritis, joint issues, itching, and all the Do you have a um, question? doctor's opinion things. So the question is, how do I stay out of it and stop doing that? You got to recover. You got to recover, recover, recover. Find a sponsor, take the cotton out of your ears, and shove it in your mouth and recover. Ask someone how they're doing it and listen. Practice what they tell you and listen. It's not Uh I, it's we, it's God. Uh Uh That's all. Shh, just listen. A recovered person will tell you, baby girl. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Perry B., for the question. Donna F., your question, please. Hi, can I be heard? Yes. Hi, thanks. Um, This is Donna F. in Maryland. Leah, thank you so much for your wonderful share this morning. I just had uh, two questions. Just curious as to why your name changed from Lisa to Leah. And then I had another question. You said that um, in 42 years that you hadn't read or been taught the doctor's opinion. That seems so, like, unbelievable to me. Um, Can you kind of explain that, too? Thanks. I'd love to. When when Jewish girls and boys are born, they're given usually an English name and a Jewish name. And the Jewish name is named after someone. And my Jewish name was Leah Elka. And if you didn't grow up in an Orthodox environment, you never used your Jewish name except you knew you had it. And as I became observant, I was at a table one day and someone called me Leah. And the rabbi called me Leah. And he said, I mean, Lisa. I said, no, I like it. At that point, I also had a radio show. That's another part. But I like being called Leah. I was never comfortable in Lisa. Leah was very comfortable, so I started using my Jewish name. And my Jewish name is Leah. Great. And the second part is, nobody in 1973, nobody ever read the doctor's opinion. It wasn't read like that. The doctor's opinion was about alcoholics. I wasn't an alcoholic. I didn't understand his opinion. Alcoholics have are allergic to alcohol. That makes sense. I didn't put it together. I don't know why. It was God who wasn't, I guess I wasn't ready. No one ever put it together for me, ever, in 42 years. No one, they used to say in the old days, you had a threefold illness. Always says it's physical, emotional, and spiritual. Well, physical was I couldn't have carbs. Emotional was whatever emotional was. And spiritual was I had to have HP, high power. It didn't put it together that I have an allergy to the body, the obsession of the mind. That's not the same thing as physical, emotional, and spiritual. It's just not. God knew it was time now. I hope that answered your question. Read the doctor's opinion. You're welcome. Thank you, Donna F. Debbie C., your turn. Star one to unmute. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, hi. Um, That was really great. Um, it's funny how I came online just at the right time to hear all of that. So it was very, very, very good for me. But the question is, I've been in and out of the room for 10 years, and I've been out a long time this time. But I think I've switched, and I'm almost out of that other, uh, how do you say, obsession, addiction. So uh, I had a dream that I was supposed to come back to OA. So my question is, how do I... Just totally, what's the first step? You want to recover? Yep, I think so. 
you think so well, yet you, you're not sure. <laughs> you're not sure you can't recover. If you want to recover, right. ask God to guide you. Find a sponsor who you relate to and start reading the big book from the cover. Inside cover, the story how thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. Start reading the big book line by line and don't be afraid. And if you get afraid, say I'm afraid. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. WC. Gloria N., your turn. Star one to unmute. Yes, this is Gloria Ann. Can you hear me? Yes, your question, please. Um, I want to know where to find information on Joe and Charlie. I've heard of them. They're in, in AA. Okay, so if you have a Google, just Google go, Joe and Charlie, and all their podcasts are online for free. And you can go to the App Store and Google Joe and Charlie and download the app, and they're for free. Or you can email me and I can send you the link. Goodjob1045 at gmail.com. Joe and Charlie are free all over the Internet. Okay, one more question. I didn't get the complete definition of your new words for what you are, we are, from. Okay. F-R-U-N-K, is that F-R-U-N-K, that's it. And if you want it, it means to be affected by food and certain food ingredients or behaviors to the extent of losing control of one's faculties and or behaviors. Going on food binges and not being able to stick to a committed plan of eating for any length of time. And the noun is a frunkster, a person who overeats and repeats inappropriate personal eating behaviors or someone who habitually eats to excess or to deprivation. <laughs> That's, That's it. Beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you. You're I welcome. would like to be able to hold on to that information, but I can listen to this podcast over and over. And, and I'll ask Leia how to deal with it later. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you, Gloria N. On M. Star one to unmute. On M. You'll need to press star one to unmute. All right. Perhaps she is not uh, available at this moment. Sharon C., star one to unmute. Sharon C. All right. Perhaps Sharon C. is also unavailable. Who else has a question for Leia at this time? Star one to unmute. Deborah M. Susan R. Susan R. One moment. Anyone else? Deborah M. Deborah M. Mindy R. Mindy R. Who else? 
This is our final invitation for questions. Star one to unmute. If you have a question for Leah, our speaker. Abby D. Abby. Jane G. Jane. G. G. Thank you. Anyone else questions today? I believe I heard someone very faint. Yeah, hi, my name is Carol B. I have a question. Carol B. Was there someone else trying to speak up? I think I hear a Susan J., but it's very, very faint voice, so perhaps you can improve your sound quality in the meantime. Anyone else? Going once. Twice, three times. Okay. Everyone mute except for Susan R., please, your question. Oh, are you, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, hi. Uh, thank you very much, Leah, for sharing. And my question, could you repeat what you, the example you gave when you realized about the mental twist? I might have misunderstood how you were explaining that, what it was to you, what the mental twist was. So, it was the, the, you know, when when you cook, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be the all the big C's, the cookie cakes and carbs. Um, I like to cook with bones. You know, I like to cook soup with bones, and it was a uh, marrow bones, exactly what it was. And I was always, whenever I ever said I was eating only one, I always ate five. No matter when I said if I won, I ate five. Why was that? So I was at the butcher store thinking about a soup I wanted to make. And I said, oh, I have to make it with the bones. I said, and I sat there online. I said, the bones, wait a minute. Every time I say one, I eat five. If I bring those bones home and make it in that soup, I'm going to eat five. I can't. Use those bones. And it was that clear to me that it was a mental twist. And I'll be honest with you, the first time I ate a meal and enjoyed it, I called a recovered sister and I said to the sister, I have a question. If I enjoy my food, is that a mental twist? And she said to me, you're allowed to enjoy your food. You're allowed to enjoy your food. That's not a mental twist. And the key to the success here is to be aware and ask people if you're not sure. Rationalization in my head is a mental twist. I knew I recovered when all the chatter in my head stopped. I have no more head chatter and haven't for two years. It's a miracle. I give it all to God and God directs me through my steps. So when the mental chatter says to you, you're supposed to have peas for lunch and you walk into the store and they have them dried and you rationalize that it's the same thing, that's a mental twist. I hope I answered your question. Yes, you did. Thank you. 
Thanks, Susan R., for the question. Deborah M., your turn. Deborah M., you'll need to press star 1 to unmute. Hi, hi, sorry. Can you hear me okay? I do, Deborah. Go right ahead with your question. Oh, okay. Um, well, I think you gave me an answer that I've been looking for a long time. Thank you so much for your share. You mentioned that you had not, when your husband died, and you were you were what was going to happen to your program, and someone told you you've never been this way before. Ask God what to do. And I think that is profoundly in step 10 and 11. Um, it's where I get stuck. Could you just elaborate a little bit more on how, how that relationship with God and how you came to the conclusion to even ask, I've never been this way before. Thank you. I'm really glad you asked me that question. Um, I got scared immediately and knew that because I'm a vulnerable compulsive eater or such an emotional upheaval, that's putting it mildly, could put my program on its ear. And I knew the recovery had to come first. So I went out to the back porch and spoke to God right there and then and said, please, God, I need a sign. I don't know what I'm doing here. I've never experienced this before. My husband's gone. My Sandy's not here. And tell me why. And I sat on the back porch and I realized that my husband left this world laying on the back steps as if he was laying in the Florida sunshine. He was relaxed. He was calm. He was just laying there as if he was taking in the sun. And all of a sudden it hit me that we have a house in Florida and I was getting a message. The message was enjoy the house with Florida. And he died laying on the steps, relaxing on the steps. And I knew the message was don't forget the steps, Leah. And I knew right then and there that was the message for God, from God to me. Do not forget your steps. He's okay. I needed him. I had work for him. And you've got to stay here and work your steps. That's why he left this earth laying on the back steps, calm and relaxed. I've learned to turn to God for everything. I talk to God all day long. There's nothing that I do, nothing, without checking with God first. No joke. And it says in the big book, we never, we never apologize for our spirituality and our relationship with God. Never. And my God, when I write the letter of who my God is, he's sitting at the kitchen table, smoking a cigar, drinking a cup of coffee, reading the newspaper, smirking over his glasses, giving me a thumbs up and saying, I got you, girl, because you're okay. And that's how it is. And I got through it, and it's a lot of pain, and grief is serious business. Serious business. But I'm not alone. I hope that answered your question. Thank you so much. Thank you. Leah? Can we still be heard? 
Mindy R. Oh, hello. Okay. Okay. Mindy R. Thank you. Mindy R. Star one to unmute with your question, please. Hi. Thank you. Um, can I be heard? Make sure. Yes. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Hi. Um, um, thank you so much for your share today. And um, my question to you is, um, this is a tough one. I'm also in the Jewish religion, but I'm not religious. I lost my religion. And when you just said grief is serious business, my grief, um, I also was a grace sheeter. Everything, like I could re- relate to so much of your story. Um, I'm a, I love Joe and Charlie. I have their tapes. I have their CDs. I learned from them years ago. I've been in program for 30, 33 plus years. So when I relapsed is when I lost my daughter from cancer. So you said grief is serious business and my God is, is it, or you said, God is said, work your steps. I've been trying to work my grief with this step. And I don't know, and I, I thought when you said you lost, you didn't talk too much about your higher power. So how do you come back to higher power after you lose your daughter from cancer? One day she's fine, and the next day she's gone. Well, you're going to call me after this is over, and we're going to chat privately. Okay. That's a that's a command. That's not a request, young lady. You are going to call me. Okay. And the other part is, I don't have a choice anymore. When I come came to understand that this disease is life or death, there's nothing that can happen in this world that can bring me back to relapse. Can't. It's gone. God removed it from me. The obsession has been lifted. And I, I, I giggle when I say it. It can't be. What are you talking about? Giggle, gone. Who is it? Where did it go? It's G-O-N-E, gone. And I can share privately you how it happened, but just like in the book, it's gone. I'm not angry at God that Sandy's not here anymore. God didn't take him to punish me. God took him because he needed him. Sandy had his own God and I wasn't it. I have another mission. I learned all about the soul. There are a lot of things to understand and learn and come to terms with. We'll talk privately. I can't wait. Go ahead, Lay. Thank you, Mindy R., for the question. And now, Abby B., star one to unmute. Hi, I think that's me, Patty D. It sounded like Abby. Yes, yes, my apologies. Go right ahead. No, no, I I was, uh, you know, gun-shy there. I, um, <clears throat> God, it was, uh, it, it was great. Great, great to hear you. Um, you, you really, uh, something else. I'm, uh. Sober in AA 40 years, and I take girls through the big book, and uh, I always start with the forwards because I think I think there's a lot to be said in that, and I love the doctor's opinion, but I am screwed now with the food. Uh, I got the big book. It's in my head. It's amazing. But I can't stop eating. Uh, and G 
Jesus, if I, I, I don't know why. Isn't that amazing? I don't know why. So that's it. So what I have to say to that is, I think Joe and Charlie say it, that sick people can't help sick people. Find a guide, go through from the recovery perspective of food, and you can't do this alone because sick people can't sponsor themselves. That's my answer. Good luck. Great, thanks. You're welcome. Thank you, Patty D. Jane G., your question, star one to unmute. Jane G., perhaps I had the name incorrect. Well, in the interim, let's move on to Carol B., star one to unmute. Oh, hi, this is Carol B. from New York. Uh, Thank you, Leah. Um, You know, I've been working a program for, well, I think I have, for the last year and a half, I had a sponsor. I was doing steps. I had a sponsee. But you know what? I was still in the food. So how how did you handle how do I let go of the fear of giving up certain ingredients? You know, I still think that, well, I don't binge from morning till night. I'm not as bad. How do I let go of the fear of, of giving up certain ingredients? Thank you. That is the $64,000 question. I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I really wanted to recover. I didn't want to let go of Splenda. And I said to this new sponsor, what do you mean? I came from the, I came from the mentality that sugar was okay, fifth or less. That was the indoctrination. And I had to come to terms with, did I really want to recover? Did I really want the transformation? Did I really want to live happy, joyous, and free. And once I was willing to accept that, I was willing to try. It's progress, not perfection. I was willing to try. So I gave up the mayonnaise and bought sugar-free. And I stopped having Splenda, and I stopped having Diet Coke, and I stopped having Snapple. And I stopped doing a lot of those things. I had to pray to become willing. I had to pray to become willing. 10, 11, and 12. It doesn't just happen, but you can't do it on your own. You must have a guide. You must do this with someone and share the truth. And even if you don't want to, you have to say, I don't want to. You got to be upfront, and I can only share that's what I do. You know, I tend to, I have a food sponsor, I have a step sponsor, I have program sponsors, and I have a whole circuit of friends I talk to in recovery every day. Yeah. That's how it works. Thank you so much. You're welcome so much. Thank you, Carol B. Our final question for today comes from Susan J. Star one to unmute. Yes, thank you. Can you hear me? 
I do hear you. Yes. Oh, good. Um, yes, I've never called in. I've been listening. Um, Leah, thank you so much. Uh, very, very, very powerful. Um, my question is, I just started with a um, going through the big book with um, a sponsor, and I'm, I'm really happy about that. We, um, it's not available every day, uh, so there's a piece I'm just hearing already from your answer that, um, you know, have someone else <laughs> that I could maybe email or something because um, I am starting out. But my my big question came up um, is a feeling. Uh, you know, you I've been hearing about grief, and what happened to me strangely this week was uh, I have been turning over to God, um, uh, higher power, these things. But I had this, you know, a reading, this big thing happened, really good thing. And then I found out something was, anyway, another good thing happened. And I just didn't know what to do with the feelings. You know, they were happy feelings. And I'm not, I kind of learned as a child to, to squelch the happy stuff, you know. And I'm realizing that the happy is as hard for me as the really tough at this moment in time. So I just want to ask what, if you'd have any thoughts on that. So the bottom line is whether it's a happy feeling, a sad feeling, a fear, a resentment, no matter what you're feeling, immediately ask God to guide you and then pick up the phone and say, I need to do a 10-step. Then the person will say, the recovered person says, what's wrong? And you'll say, I'm too happy. I'm too this. That's the key to this program. Whenever you're having a feeling, no matter what it is, if you say to yourself, I can't call, I'm going to bother someone, that's a bunch of garbage. You must. The person on the other end needs to call as much as you do. It's your responsibility to get on the phone and share it. Because once you share it, it's like breaking a bubble. You get an answer and you keep going. Because we don't eat... I've learned this on the lines. We don't eat because we're hungry. We build, eat because of a buildup of human emotions. I am human. I will feel. I need to share it. I don't know how to cope with those feelings. They're all new. They're all raw. They're all different. I don't have to be alone and sit with them because then I get that feeling in my throat that it kind of tickles a little and something should go down. Not every day of my life is perfect. Trust me. I got highs and lows and ins and outs, but I've learned what to do, and the cure is these 12 steps, and that's what you got to do. So get on the phone and share it. Okay. You're okay. welcome. Thank you. Thank you to Susan Jay with our final question this morning. Thanks to everybody who posed questions, and of course, Leah D., thank you for giving so much of yourself this morning. Thanks for your story of transformation and all your personal insights and message of hope. Much appreciated. We're going to close from page 164. Of course, it comes from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God 
Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.